Well, hello there. How are we? Welcome back to Here's Looking at You Film, a podcast for the vintage cinephile with modern sensibilities. I'm your host, Nikki, and today's episode is a a trip. Seriously, like a trip, like an acid trip. Today, we are talking about a film with violence, psychology, religion, and pinball. Today, we're covering Ken Russell's rock opera classic, The Who's Tommy. Tommy is a 1975 British satirical operetta fantasy drama film written and directed by Ken Russell and based on The Who's 1969 rock opera album, Tommy. So the film starred The Who and namely Robert Daltrey as Tommy, as well as a star-studded cast that we'll get to shortly. If you're not familiar with The Who, think of every CSI theme song. And I'm not being metaphorical, like, oh, think of ACDC or think, no, won't get fooled again. Who are you? Baba O'Reilly and I Could See for Miles. They're literally all by The Who. Baba O'Reilly, Teenage Wasteland, as some people call it, because they never really say Baba O'Reilly in the song. That's my jam. Uh, Incidentally, I'm not ashamed to say that that is how I got into them with CSI theme songs. Um, And Tommy, the film, was a play on the glam gospel movement that had started up um, during the 60s and 70s, as well as some of the religious fever of groups like the Beatles. This this film was nominated for a few Academy Awards and even won at the first annual rock movie awards that took place in 1975. Now, I actually found this movie because, as some of us millennials will attest to, uh, I found a lot of music, just as a lot of us did, through the game Rock Band. Uh, Well, in the late 2000s, I found Pinball Wizard on Rock Band and was really confused about the lyrics and I loved the song but I would didn't understand why there was a song about a kid playing pinball I thought that there was like a metaphor to this or there was some tragic backstory and this was a true story so off to the internet I went to look it up and nope it's literally the plot of the film that we're talking about today So we're going to get into the plot in a second, but I have to run you through this cast list. It's crazy. So Anne-Margaret plays Nora Walker, who's Tommy's mother. Uh, Oliver Reed plays Frank Hobbs, who's Nora's boyfriend and sort of like Tommy's stepdad. Um, Roger Daltrey plays Tommy Walker, older. Um, Barry Winch plays younger Tommy. Um, Elton John plays the first pinball wizard that we meet in the film with seven foot high Doc Martin boots. Now, funny enough, Elton John originally wasn't sure if he wanted to do the film, but when they told him that he could keep the seven foot Doc Martin boots, he decided to do it. So he, he has those, um, the Doc Martin boots that are in the film. And, um, uh, I'm, I'm definitely going to put a picture of it on the website, but um, hopefully you guys will get to see it on the Instagram as well, too. Um, we have Tina Turner playing the Gypsy, the Acid Queen, um, who was originally supposed to be played by Mick Jagger, but he wanted three songs in the film. Like he wanted to, and, and this only was one song. He wanted to have three songs. They were like, no. So they ended up getting Tina Turner and she did an amazing job. And we'll talk about all of this. Um, Eric Clapton plays the preacher um, at the Marilyn Monroe cult. Keith Moon plays Uncle Ernie, who we will talk about. Paul Nicholas plays Cousin Kevin, who we will talk about. Jack Nicholson plays the special, the specialist, um, whose name is also Dr. A. Quaxon on the door. Um, Robert Powell plays um, his dad, Captain Walker. Pete Townsend, John, John and Twistle, and Keith Moon um, are all members of The Who, and they all play themselves uh, numerous times during the film whenever they have instrumental parts. Um, and then there are a slew of other people in the film, including uh, Ken Russell himself playing um, one of Marilyn Monroe's followers in her cult, and eventually plays one of Tommy's followers as well, and he's seen in a wheelchair both times. Um, but there are a slew of people 
in this movie, they all do a really good job. The performances are really great. And um, it's this whole film, I'm going to probably say this a couple times, but just as a reminder, the whole film is a rock opera. So everything is to music. Everything is sung. There are no just dialogue parts of the movie. Every part of the dialogue is part of the song. There is music backing all of it. Also, just FYI, if I sound weird at any point during this, um, I do want to mention that I got my lip pierced. I got... (laughs) I got a Monroe piercing, um, which is the piercing that looks like, you know, like sort of like Marilyn Monroe's mole or whatever. Um, That's between my lip and my nose. So I got it last week. It's still healing, which is why I didn't record last week because it, my, my whole right side of my face was swollen. So um, I uh, now am feeling better, but it still feels a little funny. So if I sound funny, it may be because my lip hurts, but hopefully it'll be fine. Or possibly because I'm feeling this piercing scrape against my teeth, which is also weird. But we are going to get through it. We are going to start talking about the film. And uh, now that we have our players, we can press play Blue Screen, a film by Ken Russell, Tommy by The Who. Very simple white font. A figure stands in front of a glowing, hot, setting sun. A man. He turns and approaches a woman sitting, having a warm drink and looking at a map on a mountaintop. The scene changes to them making love in front of a vigorously running waterfall, and then they relax under some budding, blossoming trees. Very beautiful. It's a honeymoon. It's giving honeymoon vibes. Um, They slow dance in a room, cheek to cheek, until a phone rings. There's no audio here, but he has on a military uniform and she has on a beautiful blue sparkly evening gown. Suddenly there's an explosion and they run through rubble and demolished homes looking for signs of life. They see a young dead boy laying on a pile of rocks and they look away quickly, but continue to run. They realize what he has to do. He has to go. He gets on a train and rides away while she holds herself and sobs. She goes home and watches the skies, thinking of him as he pilots during the war, watching the planes fly overhead. She can hear bombs going off in the distances. And as we see a photo of him fall off of a table and crack, we also get a visual of his plane being hit and his head gets cracked. Damn. Well, sis has to work to support the war effort. As we know, the women were working. Um, So she has on her little Rosie the Riveter scarf and her factory jumpsuit, filling missiles at the factory with all the other girls, right? So she gets a note. It's it's not good news because she starts to cry and just passes out on the floor and all the little missile balls on the ball bearings just roll out around her. We get our first song with lyrics here, Captain Walker. Captain Walker's plane has been shot down and they haven't found him, but it ain't looking good. So, well, England has found victory in World War II and the same day Nora Walker has a son. It's a boy, Mrs. Walker, born on the first day of peace. A son! <laughs> that, that's literally how it sounds. A son! <laughs> I'm not going to sit here. I'm not going to sing it y'all this whole time. I'm probably going to bust out into songs a couple of times because the whole thing is a song, but because you got to know how it sounds. But anyway, yay. But also because she's alone and, um, you know, she doesn't have her hubby by her side. And a few years later, we can see that she's at the memorial for her hubby. They've got all the little crosses on the ground and uh, she's there with little Tommy. He's probably about five years old, I guess. She's still absolutely heartbroken. Her son, Tommy, has no idea who he even was, but clearly her mom has kept his memory alive in Tommy by telling him about how brave his father was and bringing him to the memorial. Um, so his father is is an idol for him. Um, well... Next, Tommy decides in a moment of, uh, we need a little happiness. Uh, she takes him to Bernie's holiday camp. 
this is in everybody camp, not just a kid camp. Um, so his mom gets to stay at the camp too. They have leg competitions, swim competitions. They do rolling down the hill. It's like a cruise, but like on land, um, which, you know, makes sense to not have to go on a cruise ship to do all this stuff. But people like to do this stuff on cruise ships. It's weird. They don't really have a lot of adult camps. I guess you could just go to a gym or, you know, some, but it's not like that. Anyway, so um Tommy's about five and having a good time and so is his mama and this man Frank at the camp clearly has the hots for Nora um he works there he wears one of the green coats and I'm not sure if he I don't think he owns the camp but he's a big guy at the camp you know um he's got the hots for Nora so they decide to consummate their relationship and now Tommy has a dad sort kind of yay and Tommy even says that when he gets older he wants to have his own holiday camp where they can wear green coats and the holiday is forever there too because that's the slogan at Bernie's holiday camp the holiday is forever Nora is so happy she got a new man after so long and it's feeling good it's been like literally probably five years she says she's got a feeling 51 is going to be a good year. She's going to get married to her man. And she finally finna see a little bit of happiness. And even this night when she tucks um her son into bed, he's like, you know, I really like Frank. So it's all looking good. This particular night, though, a shadow appears in Tommy's doorway while he sleeps. It's his dad. Captain Walker did not die. He just got burnt the fuck up on one side of his face but he alive he comes back like everything's all good comes and looks in on tommy as he sleeps leaves tommy wakes up and sees him leaving the room so of course he gets up and follows him to figure out what's going on well she in there with frank getting her guts beat out which she has not literally got her guts beat out and probably like since Captain Walker left. So it's not like she's been out here running rampant in these streets. Captain Walker comes back. She getting her guts beat out in the house. Um, and Captain Walker is pissed. Um, and clearly we all thought he was unalive, but he's mad. He comes in yelling. Frank gets up and hits him in the head with a lamp. Takes him out. He's now he's really DED. So Tommy done ran in to see what's going on. He's standing there in the doorway. Nora's like, what about the boy? <laughs> so she's like really like ups like upset. Just like, what about him? And Tommy is, and Frank is like, you ain't see nothing. You ain't hear nothing. And you wouldn't have any proof of anything because everybody already thinks this man is dead. So anything that you say sounds crazy. So you can't say nothing ever because like, who are you going to say it to? What are you going to say? It sounds crazy. So both of them, then Frank and Nora are both like, you ain't see nothing. You ain't hear nothing. You don't know nothing. You can't say nothing. And even if you do, you'll sound crazy. Like nothing. You ain't got nothing. All right. Well, Tommy's like, okay. Kid literally doesn't react to anything. And he doesn't talk now. He does not see. He can't hear. He cannot speak. Frank and Nora, they live in their little family life. They got matching outfits on, going to little parks together, giggling, having family time. And Tommy is literally just staring off into space like he has no idea of what's going on. He's gone mentally. He is picturing himself with his dad on a plane. In his head, he is dancing around. He's doing all sorts. But he... Gone. He has these visuals of airplanes. And they, they're sitting upright. And they kind of look like crosses. And then at some point, there's like a black background. And there's like 30 Tommies dancing around. And you know, he's like five. And you know, if you think about, you, you think about like, you remember on Sesame Street where they would have like kids. I mean, even now, kids do the same thing. When you ask a kid to dance around, they just kind of like jump around in a circle and like hop and do and like it's 
and wave their arms really they don't know what like dancing to a rhythm is they just like move and that's kind of what he was doing but it was like 30 of him on the screen doing that um and they're playing this song in the background called amazing journey um it's it's a very seven it feels like amazing journey like it feels like you're watching like a saturday morning cartoon but it's like weird and freaky it's very 70s it's just very 70s and i understand why they did it but also it's very weird watching it the visuals are very trippy so tommy's clearly all in his own little brain world but he doesn't react to his mom or frank or anyone else at all even on christmas tommy doesn't seem to even be aware of what day it is they keep asking tommy can you hear me and his mom is frustrated. Frank is always there to take her mind off of Tommy for just a moment. You can tell he is clearly 100% there for Nora. And Tommy is just a byproduct of this relationship. But like, he loves Nora. And so he wants to be with her. He wants to spend time with her. And he wants to encourage her to enjoy time with him. Even if it's at Tommy's expense, unfortunately. Um... This is their fault, but they keep talking about curing him as if it's his fault, as if it's something that he's doing on purpose or something that happened physically to him and not emotionally to him. They feel like if they can't cure Tommy, he's never going to go to heaven because he's not going to be able to grasp religion, Christianity, God, or any kind of like righteous moral behavior. She walks up to Tommy and even tries to, um, you know, get him to engage with this religious figure that they get him for Christmas. And he throws it mentally in his head. He's singing this song that comes up a lot um, where he's saying, see me, feel me, touch me, heal me. But externally, there is literally nothing there. He is blank as a board staring off into space. Well, years later, and Tommy now in his late teens, early 20s, they don't really say how old he is, but he's probably about 18. Still got that dead look in his eyes, right? They're at church, but it's not a church like we know church. There's pictures of Marilyn Monroe everywhere. Eric Clapton is up there playing. Parishioners are wearing Marilyn masks. And Eric, the preacher, singing about how with one word from her lips, the deaf can hear, the blind can see. Communion there consists of a pill, a very colorful two-toned pill and a shot of Johnny Walker Red. Uh, so as you can guess, this uh, is a little bit different. Physically ill people in wheelchairs are literally rolled up so they can touch the hem of this statue's flared Maryland dress. And clearly Nora is willing to try anything to get her baby talking. So now she done brought him to this Marilyn Monroe cult. And she walks Tommy up to the st statue and tries to get him to touch the statue. And they end up accidentally pushing the statue over and breaking it. And this huge eight nine foot tall statue falls to the ground and it's almost it's it's kind of terrifying well Nora's way didn't work so now Frank is gonna try his way he takes Tommy to a uh a lady's house um where he meets the gypsy the acid queen played by Miss Tina Turner herself she's got body voice and moves baby if she can't get him going nobody can she says one night with me and he'll be changed okay she's dragging this deaf blind and unresponsive boy up to the room throws him onto the bed he got a suit on he is just staring blankly around he can't even hold his cane he's just all over the place right well assisted by two women she's standing there she's singing a song about how she's going to fix his wounded, ailing heart. And she puts on a mask. And she's already got on this red robe. And when they take the red robe off of her once she puts on the mask, she's transformed into this 
iron maiden structure that has needles um, pointing all over it. There's probably about 15, 16 needles. There's like one at the top and then they're going all around the sides and all through the front and the back. All these needles. And the two women who assist in this, presumably, they take Tommy over to the, the Iron Maiden and they shut him inside where he, he all of these needles compress, presumably giving him acid. And this metal contraption starts to spin like super quickly and the camera moves back and forth. And Tina's singing and she's spinning, the contraption is spinning and she's sort of overlaid over like, uh, uh, over transparent with this machine. So she and the Iron Maiden are one in the same, you know? And when the Iron Maiden opens, we see his father's, Tommy's father's burned face, you know? And then it transforms to a perfectly, you know, non, I mean, non-burned face as he was, you know, as when he was first with uh, Tommy's mother, with Nora. And then it transforms into Tommy and Tommy looks so happy. And he's naked except for, um, he has on, uh, it looks like he's just got on like a white sheet going across his midsection. And he looks like Jesus during the crucifixion or how he's been depicted many times during the crucifixion, completely naked except for that one white sheet. And um, the Iron Maiden closes again, opens, and he's got all of these flowers around his head. But they're the flowers that were used to decorate the memorial that his father was at. Um, so it's just all of the all this weird, like familial imagery, you know. Well, obviously, all of um, there's it opens again, and then he's a skeleton, and there's all these snakes, and the biggest snake is between his legs, you know, <laughs> and, you know, <laughs> obviously all this is not real. This is all just going on in his head. It's metaphorical. Frank comes in to check on him and he is laid out on the floor, literally in having the shakes while Gypsy stands over him with a needle. Her legs are shaking, but like in that Tina Turner way that they do, like if you've ever seen, you know how she makes, she has um those, um, those uh, dresses that like I forgot what they're called. Like they, they got all the tassels on them and the tassels shake when she shakes, you know, and she'll shake her legs and then the whole dress shake. She's doing that with her legs standing over him. But her face is like gritted in this very like high as fuck kind of way, but also in a Tina Turner way. Cause you know, she was never one to make like, you know, sassy diva faces. She made gritty like, I'm singing my heart out to you kind of faces. And that's what her face was doing. It was really crazy. Anyway, um, there has been no sexy time, okay? It has literally been only druggy time. She clearly gave him some acid. Um, Tommy and uh, Frank is like, all right, I'm going to go ahead and take him. And she's like, bring him back one more time. I promise you it'll it'll be good. And then he's like, nah, I think I'm. I'm good. Thank you so much, though. Thank you for trying. So he goes on and <laughs> takes Tommy on home, and they decide maybe they'll try something else. So clearly Tommy is still not okay, but his parents are going to go away for a bit. Um, and his mom asked Frank, do you think it's all right to leave the boy with cousin Kevin? You know, he's like, he doesn't seem, Kevin's not all the way right, you know. Do you think it's all right? And Frank He's like, yeah, I think it's all right. <laughs> That's literally how he sounds like. He gives him no shit. He's like, child, we just, I'm just trying to go on vacation with you, boo. Like, leave this, I don't care who you leave this motherfucker with. I just want to leave, okay? Well, you yourself are probably thinking, hmm, well, maybe it isn't all right leaving a boy who can't talk or fend for himself with someone who you think is kind of creepy or kind of mean or, yeah maybe that's because you're a good person possibly if you thought that at all maybe you didn't think that but it's because you haven't seen the movie and you don't have a concept of why would someone leave you with someone but then ask themselves hey should I leave them with this person yeah 
I like you because you probably do think that way. I do not like these people. They suck. So Cousin Kevin, we're on our own. Cousin, all alone. Cousin. So Cousin Kevin wants to think of a game to play now that the adults are away. Kevin's ideas of games are things like burning Tommy with cigarettes, dunking his head underwater until he almost drowns in dirty uh, tub water, putting bags over his head, hanging him from a coat hook on the door and beating him, leaving him outside in the rain for hours. Just normal games. Um, literally, this man is a bully, has a bully for a babysitter, and he's doing it just because he knows that Tommy won't ever speak on any of it. He literally can't tell anybody what's going on. Nora even gives Kevin a paddle, like, when he, when they're about to leave, he hands Kevin a paddle and then gives, um, Tommy a soccer ball, like, Tommy can't even see. Like, why would you hear? Okay. Anyway. Then, after that, he gets left with Uncle Ernie, who's had maybe a few too many. Do you think it's all right to leave the boy with Uncle Ernie? Yeah, I think it's all right. <laughs> oh, that's what the conversation. Uncle Ernie has rotting teeth greasy hair and is very happy that Tommy can't see or hear or communicate so he can fiddle about. Yep. Fiddle about. Fiddle about. Fiddle about. He wants to fiddle about. You know what I mean by fiddle about. He has all sorts of um, tools and douche Bags, I mean literally bags for dushing and enema bags and ropes and strings and things that he's brought to fiddle about, fiddle about. No bueno. At some point, the lights go out and Ernie starts making the most disgusting, animalistic panting noises, slurping noises, he's like laughing maniacally it's disgusting when frank comes home he finds tommy in bed with like his finger in his mouth almost infantilely like you know how like kids will just have like that one finger in their mouth or how their thumb he's got that one one finger in his mouth and he's staring blankly and ernie's sitting in a chair on the end of the bed he's got like some underwear on his head and he looks very pleased looks very guilty. Disgusting. So now Tommy at this point, he just stares into the mirror a lot. And he decides well, at one point his parents are like, do you think it's all right to let him stare into the mirror? I think it's all right. <laughs> Seriously, this keeps happening. So he's staring into this mirror, just like looking and his mirror self is like super excited and he's like, hey, come this way. So he follows his mirror self outside um, and ends up in a junkyard. So when he follows his mirror self outside, he's walking just following his mirror self. But like, as you may remember, Buddy is blind. So at some point the fantasy in his head ends and he is just in a junkyard at night and he can't see anything. So he's just stumbling around in junk in the dark, which is a good way to die, I'm pretty sure. Because there's all sorts of things that could like stab you or fall on you or kill you in a junkyard. But he just stumbled around for a while until he saw this like random orb of light. And the random orb of light was a pinball machine. Somehow, he is really good at pinball on his first try cannot see can't hear can't acknowledge anything but is bomb at pinball this deaf dumb and blind boy attracts the police the papers reporters because he is damn good at pinball well now 
Frank is going to exploit the shit out of this boy. Saturday is the big showdown between him and the pinball wizard. Because now everybody is ready to see them go head to head. And the pinball wizard is played by Elton John. He's a pinball wizard. And he's been the pinball wizard for a long time. But now he's um, playing against Tommy. And he's like, there has to be a twist. He ain't got no distractions. He can't hear no buzzes and bells. Um, he must play by sense of smell. He literally dominates. It's like church. And these people are watching these two play. And Tommy is literally pinball Jesus at this point. He has no clue. He's just playing his little heart out because pinball is fun for him. It's the only thing that has brought him any kind of peace in the last case. So he, he don't even acknowledge the people that are screaming behind him. He doesn't acknowledge that he's at a competition. He is just playing pinball. And uh, he does great. And he wins. He beats the pinball wizard. And um, Elton John and his seven-foot Dot Martin gets carried out of the door while they boo him. And um, apparently pinball is a very lucrative sport at this time because they are balling. Like his parents have a yacht. They have a nice house. They are making money. They got the egg chairs. Everything is all white. The carpets, they got TVs. They got um, mirrors on the walls. Balling. Meanwhile, his mama is hype.com. She is at the crib with the champagne and in the all-white room. She got on a white jumpsuit with a white fur coat, white satin sheets, white carpet, the mirrors on the wall, the white egg chairs, the white uh, bubble TV. She's living lavish. Commercials on TV for rich-ass chocolate, rich-ass beans, rich-ass laundry detergent. She's trying to be happy, you know, but her son is deaf, blind, and dumb, okay? In spite of all this fame and happiness, she doesn't want to be reminded that part of the reason that this ha this is happening is because of her deaf and blind and non-responsive son. She keeps trying to change the channel, but it keeps coming back to his staring-ass, lifeless-ass face being carried by millions of adoring fans while he plays pinball. So... Um, and he's singing the, see me, hear me, feel me, heal me. And she's having a whole meltdown about it because she's trying. So she ends up throwing her bottle of Vogue Clicquot at the TV. Very expensive. I would not recommend it. But she throws it at the TV. And suds, laundry suds, come pouring out the TV. And she like, oh, and she starts rolling in the suds, rubbing them all over herself, looking like she in a Mariah Carey music video, you know what I'm saying? Then the chocolate come rolling out of the TV, um, the, the rich chocolate, and also the baked beans. The baked beans come the all white room, and it is... First suds, which is fine. Then baked beans. And she rolls in the baked beans. And then it's chocolate. And she rolls in the chocolate. It's gross, okay? Of course, this is not really happening, okay? This is all in her head. She just drunk like a skunk. Drunk off her shit. Frank come in and find Nora. The TV is broke because the wine bottle is just sitting in the TV. Nora is literally just rolling on the ground like a fucking idiot. Um, Frank is like, he drunk too, cause he drunk, just came off the yacht. So it is what it is. They just both fucked up. Well, Frank is overjoyed. Okay. Because they got all this money. They doing good. And he says he's found a specialist that can help heal all Tommy's ailments. The specialist played by Jack Nicholson. He tells or, or like sings to Nora and Frank that after all the tests they run, he's concluded that Tommy will not be able to speak or react to them at all. He lives inside his head, never outside. Now, Tommy's still singing the see me, you know, see me, hear me, feel me, heal me shit. Um, 
Always in his head, he's singing it. He's not singing it out loud, but he's staring blankly into space. He wants somebody, you know, to get up in there. The specialist has him hooked up on all the wires, and they're sending electrical shocks through him, and he's got this weird head thing on. His eyes have these metal things that look like pinballs on them. But all while Nora and Frank are have on what I can only classify as the fanciest fancy clothes that have ever fancied. Now they're at, you know, the doctor for their sick son, trying to figure out how to get him to talk. Nora has on a sparkly floor length dress. It's all white sequins and it's slit from the thigh to the heel. Frank literally has on a gray top hat and a tuxedo with a cigar in his mouth and a monocle. He looks like Mr. Moneybags. They have been living comfortably off of Tommy's pinball money. And despite trying to get him to interact, they really don't seem too concerned with his comfort. They just want to see if they can get him to talk because Nora wants him to talk. Frank is doing it because Nora wants it. He could care less. He's just happy that they have the money and that they can live comfortably. So Tommy's being poked and prodded while Nora is making eyes with the good, good doctor. He's telling her that while Tommy can be poked and prodded, it will take a much more hands-on approach to free his mental block, you know? And through all this, they try to figure out what's going on in that head of Tommy's. And the doctor really isn't able to help, but, I mean, boy, is he handsome. Jack Nicholson was fine. I mean, he's still, he's a very handsome guy, but he was actually kind of fine, even with a receding hairline or whatever he had going on. He was sassy. Um, so I get it. And he said that Tommy's issue is emotional, and the only way for him to get through it is to keep him engaged with the mirror. So the doctor does know that this is an emotional thing and not a physical thing. Um. But they just don't know how to fix it. Now, Tommy, you know, he got a cute little outfit on too, though. He got an all-white suit. He got, it's got a white jacket. And he's on a white sweater underneath. It's so real cute. And then he's got those really blue eyes and that curly hair. It look good together. He look good. So he gets in the car and him and his mama go for a ride. They have a driver so Nora can sit in the back seat with her son and freely drink to her heart's content. And they drive with the top down and Tommy looks so happy, so free. He's got this huge smile on his face with the wind blowing through his hair. And Nora keeps calling to him, trying to get him to acknowledge her, asking if he can hear or see her. But he doesn't react to her at all. He's just sort of reacting to the wind. So the next scene... Okay. So... We're back at the house in, in the all-white room. Nora has on a red dress, and she kind of dances and gyrates around the room, wildly tossing her hair around. It looks crazy, but it also just looked like how people in the 70s danced, you know? That, like, weird, wild, jerky, like, looks like they might be drunk or on drugs, but maybe not. Maybe that's just the dancing style. She, she's doing that. She's asking Tommy why he seems so intrigued by the mirror, but not her. You know, she's going off on her song. She, the whole thing is a song. So she's asking how he can see himself so clearly, but it's like other people aren't even there, you know? So in a weird fit of rage, she grabs him and tosses him into the mirror. When the mirror breaks, he goes flying outside and down into the pool below. But when we see him emerge, his jacket, his shirt are gone. He just has on those white pants and he's swimming feverishly as if he's all he's ever wanted to do. He's swimming like he's in the Olympics and he stands up and sings, I'm free, I'm free and freedom feels like reality. That's what he says. So now he's running. He ain't got on no shoes. He's got on them white pants. He's running through fields, he's running through flowers, he's running through the Vietnam War, the beach. It's all sorts of, um, he's, and he can see life happening, you know. He's doing cartwheels on the beach, he's running past people, and they're all kind of looking at him. Then he really started running everywhere. 
He's running through the ocean. He's running through volcano lava, mountains, plains. He's running through the sky. He's just, it's green screen everywhere. It's like they figured out how to use green screen and they were like, we finna just plaster this movie in it. Great. Well, listen, he doing all that, but like not really. He has actually fallen onto a rock below. I don't know how this house is set up. I don't know how he ended up falling onto a rock by the beach, but that's where he fell. Um, so his mom runs out there and she's like, baby, can you see me? Can you hear me? You know, she's trying to get in touch with him. And all of a sudden, all of these memories start flooding back to him. His childhood, the camp, the Christmases, the night his father was killed, even his own birth for some reason popped back up. I don't even know how you remember that, but he did. So he sits up and asks his mother, can you see me? Can you hear me? Do you know me? Where did I come from? His mother's eyes go wide with joy as he speaks to her for the first time in literal years. She explains to him that he's a pinball wizard, rich, captivating millions, a hero, a literal god. Well, he says that anybody that follows him has a higher purpose now, beyond pinballs and lights. He gathers all the jewelry off of his mom and rips it off, one by one, throwing it into the ocean. Necklaces, then bracelets, then all of her rings, which she has one on like every finger, and then takes her press on nails off. Child ripped every nail right off her hand. Then takes her to the water, dips her in the water as if like basically baptizing her, and she is wildly captivated. She almost has this like lustful look on her face. It's like weird, but it might just be like general excitement. But Tommy has the smile and the run of a small boy who's at the park for a first time, just as happy as he can be, just running around. And even as you can probably imagine, everyone is shocked that Tommy can talk now. And that's all they want to talk about. They want to know what he has to say. He's the new Messiah. Now, Tommy kind of looks like the most well-known depictions of Jesus, perfectly curly brown hair, that kind of curly mullet shape, blue eyes, pale skin. They have merch made where pinballs surround his head in, in the shape of like a crown of thorns. And we quickly get to see the effects of this new religion of sorts. Little Sally wanted to go to a pinball wizard meeting, but her father wouldn't let her. Her room is literally wallpapered with this singular photo of Tommy. It's all over her room like hundreds of times. And she decides she just needs to touch him somehow. So in true teen girl fashion, she sneaks out. Not really because like her, she ran right by her mom in the garden, but like off she went to the meeting. Well, Tommy comes out. Everybody goes wild. It's like if like Harry Styles became a religious icon. I don't even really like know that much about Harry Styles, you know, but I mean, he's okay, but I know that the girls go up for Harry Styles like crazy. It's like if BTS had like a religion, it's like that. Well, the cops tried to hold everybody back, but Sally was just small enough to slip through the cops' legs. She runs right up to the stage and hangs on to the edge of the stage looking at Tommy lovingly, just long enough for Frank to come and stomp on both of her hands, causing her to fall. She hit a chair on the way down and ended up with a huge gash on her face that started under her eye and ended at her jaw. Had to get stitches. And so just FYI, and they say like she kept the scar because she wanted to remember Tommy's smile. So just FYI, we learn all of this in song form, of course. And they go on to say that as Sally ends up marrying a rock singer from California and kept her scar on her face forever. Now, Sally's like 10. Maybe I didn't mention that in the beginning. Sally's probably like 10 or 11 years old. And the rock singer is like a 12-year-old boy that looks like Frankenstein's monster. You're not finna catch me slipping. I know that Frankenstein is the doctor. It's Dr. Frankenstein and Frankenstein's monster. I get it. But Frankenstein, Dr. Frankenstein is the monster. Do you understand that? Ooh, I just dropped some knowledge on you. Dr. Frankenstein is the actual monster in the situation anyway. But back to this, back to Tommy. 
anyway, Sally ends up watching him perform for all these adoring women, her like 13 year old husband, while she still about 10 has on red press-ons, red lipstick, and a baby carriage, and is clearly disinterested in her husband's fame, who is a 12-year-old Frankenstein monster boy. I can't mention that enough. Um, So, like, okay, I know I haven't really been posting movie stills on the Instagram that much, because I don't really know who's engaging and who's not, but I usually post them on my website, but I'll definitely post a few photos on the Insta for this one, because I need you to understand what this 12-year-old boy looks like. I just need you to understand what they look like. Anyway, next, we have um, some guys tossing through some trash, working and wondering if there's more to life than what they have now. And they happen upon a paper with a huge headline, Tommy Speaks. Well, there's no time for them to continue talking about that. We've got to switch because the next scene sees a gang, the Black Angels, riding up and ambushing a rival gang, shooting, beating them bloody, even tying them to motorcycles and dragging them around on the ground. And just as the leader's about to deal a fatal shot to a teenage-looking boy, he stops as if he senses something. Looking up, he sees Tommy on a hang glider, just gliding through the sky, shirtless, and spreading the good news, apparently. The gang members see him and stop fighting and just start dancing. Tommy is literally changing the world. Any place he flies over, people stop fighting, they stop gambling, they stop doing anything that's like considered sinful, and they start dancing. Tommy's singing about how amazing he is, how people follow him in droves, and as soon as they feel him coming, their hearts explode with love. He invites people to his home. He stands on the roof and invites one and all to worship with him. He says he is the light, and he wants everybody to get up on in this light. Well, as you can imagine, you can't just invite everybody to come eat and drink at your house. Eventually, there's going to be more people than you can hold because, like, everybody is everybody. And Frank, as always, is trying to establish some kind of order, but he can't even hold a door. Oh, hold door. Oh. Anyway, so he can't, he can't hold a door because people are pushing to get in. And Tommy's like... Well, build a bigger place so we can fit more people. Just don't spare any expense. Build it. Well, Frank done figured out how he going to make this work for them. Because if they got to build a bigger bigger place, they got to make more money. And if they going to make more money, they need more followers. So the way that this works is they start telling people, you got to follow Tommy because Tommy's going to teach your heart to talk. And the pinball machines are his altar. They wear green. And they drink green. So I, I'm guessing the drink that they're drinking is absinthe because it's just like bright drink green liquid. Well, now they've opened Tommy's Holiday Camp. When you come to Tommy's, the holidays forever. Sound familiar? It literally looks like Disneyland. They have merch. Busloads of people ride in literally just to wait to get in. It's chaos outside. And Frank is loving it. Meanwhile, Tommy is literally inside working with people in wheelchairs in a sort of like active meditation yoga thing. So the people come storming in, basically chanting that buying merch and paying for things isn't helping them. They want to reach enlightenment like Tommy has, and they're waiting for answers. Well, he has the answer. No drinking, no smoking. We're not even welcoming in people who do like normal stuff, like the hats and ties kind of crowd, because I he was like, I know that the things that I need you to do to follow me, you're not even going to want to do it because it's you're too normal. No, you put on eye shades, earplugs, put in a mouth cork, and you play pinball. That's it. That's the answer. So that's what they do. They put in their earplugs. They put on some eye shades. They put a mouth thing in their mouth, and they are led to pinball machines. They play for a while. In the movie, it's literally like 30 seconds. I don't know how long I'm supposed to think that they play, but it was literally like 30 seconds of the movie before they decide to revolt. And they say that they're not going to take it, and they never will. And they rush Tommy, stabbing Frank, and then hit his mother over the head with a bottle. Then they just leave. They, they, they They kill Tommy's parents. And then just leave. 
I'm not laughing at the death. I'm laughing because it happened so quickly. They came in and they were like, tell us what to do. And Tommy was like, do this. And they did it for 30 seconds. And then they were like, no. And they killed his parents and left. So Tommy slides down off his mountain of pinballs and finds his lifeless mother's body. And he's singing the See Me, Feel Me, Touch Me, Hear Me song again. And he ends up putting Nora's body in, next to Frank's, puts their hands together. And he runs from the burning compound because the pinball machines have been set on fire. And eventually the fire spread to the building itself. He runs out to the lake and he falls in the lake and swims to a waterfall. And it's the waterfall that he was conceived under. He finds the mountain climbs it and he sings this song that's like listening to you I get the music gazing at you I get the heat following you I climb the mountain I get excitement at your feet from you I get the story and he climbs to the top of this mountain and finding a glowing rising sun he raises his arms ending the film just as it began a man with his arm raised in front of a glowing sun. But instead of the father, it's the son. Credits roll over red background. Okay, so there are a million things to unpack here, but also I do want to acknowledge that, you know, maybe not. This is one of those movies that we could dive in and dissect for hours, but this could also simply be a 1975 fever dream. One of my favorite things about Tommy is that there's no chance that you'd have any idea how this movie ends at the start of it. I mean, maybe if you really have like that much of a maze in your mind of different plots that could come up. But like there are so many moments in this film that seem metaphorical, but could also be actually happening. The lack of unsung dialogue makes each scene feel like it could be happening in real life or it could be a fever dream or a physical manifestation of someone's mental state. And the film wouldn't make sense, more sense one way or the other, finding out whether it's actually happening or not, honestly. So it, I guess it's best just not to think about it too hard and just take it for what it is. Okay, so... For themes, I mean, obviously silence and religion come up a lot. First off, the film is all song. So there's no spoken dialogue, so to speak. Everything is sung. We also never hear Tommy's dad's voice. He's only referred to as Captain Walker. So he really has no name. And in this scene in Bernie's, at the beginning with uh, Bernie's holiday camp, Tommy sings underneath Frank in sort of like a round style. Like if you think about if when if you went to Disneyland with a kid and you were trying to talk to this kid, but they're so excited that they kind of like talk over you or talk under you. He was clearly happy then. Clearly his fully kiddie self, you know. And so we can hear him. We hear Frank. We hear Nora. We don't hear Captain Walker. He even sang how much he liked Frank um, the same night before the thing happened. So we have all these happy people singing and Captain Walker doesn't have a voice. So, you know, clearly the boy was happy. So when Tommy goes mute, it's weird that Nora and Frank become so invested in trying to get him to talk again um, when they know that this all happened the day that the tragedy happened they literally told him don't talk about this thing ever like don't talk you didn't see anything you didn't hear anything and it was trauma and they for some reason didn't put together the fact that they told this boy you didn't see anything you didn't hear anything you don't know anything and the boy stopped seeing and hearing and knowing things why are they surprised they actually seem almost upset about it as if they don't understand how it happened as if it's something that happened to them and not something that they caused Tommy was a talkative boy so it's likely that he would have talked if he'd continued to talk he would have told somebody what happened 
They wanted the same happy and talkative boy while asking him to hold a devastating secret like murder, which is pretty insane. And the fact that they got upset and that they're both fully cognizant of what happened, but got upset about his reaction to the situation is is it's crazy. I know that psychology wasn't um, as heavily studied then as it is now, but I think that's the most obvious thing I've ever heard of for these people to then be confused and upset about. It's really weird. But Nora has a lot of feelings. She drinks a lot. Her makeup is a mess a lot after all of this happens. She's never quite right. And you can tell that she clings to Tommy as an extension of herself and her motherhood, and also as an extension of her relationship with her ex-husband or her former husband. She doesn't feel fulfilled unless Tommy is okay, unless she can figure out what exactly is wrong with him. But she's torn between these two worlds, this physical world that Frank wants her to be involved in, this world of money and this world of um, gaining things, earning things. But she's also this quote-unquote virgin mother, having conceived under the purity of a waterfall and losing Tommy's father, having to mother him alone. Frank comes along as a sort of a Joseph offering to play father in her child's life, even though it's not his. And much like Jesus, Tommy wanted to take after his new father as a holiday camp owner, much like Jesus wanted to take after Joseph as a carpenter. carpenter. But unlike Joseph, Frank is a modern man. And so is Tommy's first god, Captain Walker. When they incur Captain Walker's wrath and Captain Walker is taken down, the man that Tommy worshipped first in his life is dead. God is dead. Tommy's room had a T-shaped, had T-shaped fighter planes that looked like crosses, water wallpapered all over his walls, and a photo of his dad on the table. Um, the first thing that he'd ever believed in, but had never seen. Much like people have that one photo of Jesus on their walls and have crosses up on their walls. And this figure that he had believed in, unseen, unheard, was killed right in front of him. So Tommy, I don't think he was ever going to speak again until he found something else to believe in. And he was continuously shown that there was nothing to believe in. From Cousin Kevin to Uncle Ernie, it's no good. People are no good. So when he finds serenity in one of the noisiest machines that exists, a pinball machine, we have to wonder how, why? But the thing is, Tommy has a second God too. You see, he looks in the mirror a lot, even seems to get lost in the mirror because the person in his head and the person in the mirror aren't the same, but two different facets of the same person. It's the only thing, this mirror is the only thing that he actually takes notice of. So much so that it drives his mother to throw him through one presumably. He lives in his own head and the outside world means nothing to him. So he serves as his own God in his own head, ruling his own thoughts and ruling everything that he decides to do, which is nothing. And this is, it makes sense that when he is able to speak, he needs to share what's been going on in his head with the world. This philosophy that he that he's built on his own, not being able to communicate, not being able to see, not being able to hear, not being able to feel. And this is further fed by his doting mother who, upon his return to reality, literally tells him that he is a god among men. And there was nothing to tell him that he wasn't. People literally wrote about him and ran to him in droves the moment that he could talk, trying to figure out what was going on in his head. But here's the thing. 
that's interesting about these religious I wouldn't even call them a zealot, but these religious people, the more God talks, the more we wait for him to say something tangible. There's a reason that our deities remain unseen and unheard and unspoken to. The moment that they give us an answer that isn't the answer, they lose favor. At the time, there was definitely a Jesus Christ superstar kind of glam gospel movement happening, especially it's the 60s and 70s. There are an abundance of men that looked like commercial Jesus running around, simply proving that 75% of religion is really just aesthetic. I mean, Charles Manson looked kind of like Jesus, if you really want to go there. Like, (laughs) people loved him. And that's Charles Manson. But once you realize... Once people realize that you don't have the secret, you don't have the source, it's back to obscurity. And the sad thing is that Tommy wasn't even really trying to capitalize off of this enlightenment. It was Frank. And by default, because Frank was, Nora was. I think Nora really believed her son's hype. I think she believed that all of that time spent in his head made him special. And so anything that he had to say afterwards had to be special as well. Frank saw the opportunity to make money. But Tommy believed his own hype to the end because he believed in his own own thoughts. He didn't have anything else. He had lived in his own head for that whole time. He didn't need a single follower to make his way up to the mountain top where he was conceived, to make his way to the waterfall. He effectively went back to his place of conception, home to his father. So this was almost like his ascent into heaven. He was existed died, was reborn as this person who could talk and share the good news, and then ascended back into heaven with his father. Um, But side note, this is something that generally bothered me about the movie. This isn't any, you know, a complaint, because I like the movie. But so Roger Daltrey, Tommy, has these bright blue eyes. The boy who played Lil Tommy has brown eyes. And like, it's not just like a, oh, like we're far away, it doesn't matter. They do like a couple of these, like, because when they're doing like the weird 70s routine where they're dancing around and have him dancing and they're showing all the like jets and they do like some close-ups into his eye where they zoom into his eye and his eye is brown. It's brown. So... It's not like they're maybe just a dark blue. They're, they're, it's not just like there's there's nothing in the story that says like, oh, because he was blind for so long, his eyes changed color or something. No, it's just they hired a boy that had brown eyes that didn't even really look like, he doesn't even look like Roger Daltrey. It's not like they found a boy that looked just like him and he just happened to have, like, no, like they just found a boy that had brown eyes. And then he wasn't he wasn't singing either. They had another boy play. I don't understand. It bothers me. So the film itself is erratic and random. But with a bit of, you know, some calculated thought and timing, it definitely can be enjoyed. And if you think about it as a satirical film or a satirical comedy, you'll enjoy it even more. But the film does still have the erratic and random qualities of a game of pinball. Um, if you want to watch it, I think you need to rent it. I couldn't find any place where it was playing on demand. I actually ended up having to rent it twice, unfortunately. Um, I haven't seen it on any streaming apps, but I mean, it's fun. I will say you can listen to the soundtrack and decide that if it's your speed, you know, um, it's a rock opera musical with music by The Who, which is a particular kind of rock. I like it, but it may not be your kind of rock. The subject is also kind of, you know, convoluted. There's so many fun cameos um, and seeing, and the acting is amazing. If you, okay, if you liked, for instance, like Crybaby, or even, even if you like Grease, I would say, I mean, Grease has more of like a straight plot, but if you like Crybaby, I don't know if you ever saw that, but um, 
you might be into maybe i don't know um this is definitely an acquired taste kind of film but i love it um and hopefully you enjoyed at least hearing about the pinball wizard and um his special skills that's all the time we have for today. The next episode will actually be coming out on Friday. And it's going to be a fun little quickie, but hopefully you'll get to enjoy it. Um, I'm trying to stay on schedule because I have specific films that I want to cover for next week and for episode 25 and for episode 26 as well. Um, so um, you're going to get a, a bonus episode on Friday. Uh, please follow the podcast, whatever platform you use to follow your podcast, and please rate where available. Um, I do always recommend people um, download podcast apps like Stitcher, Podchaser, Good Pods, um, but um, anywhere that you listen to podcasts. I'm probably there. Check out the Slave Pod Instagram. Follow me on Twitter at film underscore Nikki and send any collab requests, advice, movie recommendations, or general greetings to Here's Looking Podcast at gmail.com. That's H E R E S L O O K I N P O D C A S T at gmail.com. Thanks for tuning in. And if I don't see you, good afternoon, good evening, and good night. Cheers.